Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to uh, our podcast here. We're glad that you joined us for this this episode here where we get to start a, a brand new book. Another one in the books and another book for the books. Don't cry for me, Jeremiah. That's right. Cry for your people, which he does. Or, I mean, it, it could be someone else. It may not be Jeremiah, but don't cry for me, somebody. Fair, fair. Hey, it's uh, Stephen Little's birthday and Matt Daniel's birthday. Wow, a power couple. I mean, well, like not them together. <laughs> Just I take that back. They are both powerful in their service. Right, yeah. That's what I was trying to get at. They're a power duo. Power duo, that's better. That, yeah. that, that communicates more what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, no, they are for sure. Steven is uh, is instrumental in our setup and teardown team, along with so many other people, and Matt serves with youth group. That's right. He preached uh, this last Wednesday. Awesome. And he, he did a good job, and I'm stoked for Matt, and he's married. Yep. And lots of cool things, man. Yeah. I'm, man, I love both of these men. Thank you guys for serving. Yep. Thanks for existing. Yes. Thanks for choosing to be born. Yeah. Happy day of birth. Both of you. Yeah. Hey, uh, we are starting a brand new book, like we were talking about at the beginning, the book of Lamentations. And uh, Pastor Rod, you seem to imply that maybe Jeremiah didn't write the book. Yeah. I, so the the traditional, just so everyone knows, the traditional understanding is that Lamentations is written by Jeremiah. In fact, if you try to buy a commentary, many of the commentaries put Jeremiah and Lamentations together. And for those people, they believe that Jeremiah is the one who writ, uh, wrote this. But uh, there, there's a few places where it's it's questionable, at least. Jeremiah's in Egypt. Last we left him off. Remember, he was kidnapped by a couple of scoundrels who made them made him go with them to Egypt. And it seems like the writer of Lamentations is writing from Jerusalem, or at least it seems to have some firsthand experience. So either if Jeremiah is the one behind the book, he's getting intel back where he is, and he's hearing about some of the things that are happening back on, on the home turf. I don't know. There's a couple other small things too, but whether it's Jeremiah or another guy who's writing similar content doesn't make a, you know, doesn't make or break our understanding of the book. So I asked, uh, AI just now chat GPT. I did who wrote lamentations and it said the book of lamentations in the Bible is traditionally attributed to the prophet Jeremiah. That's a collection of poet, poetic laments mourning the destruction of Jerusalem. Anyways, we were just talking about AI a little bit before we jumped on the podcast. And so I thought I would, I thought I would put it to use in a positive light, which is one of the few Man, ways that is that a you godly utilization right there. Not one of the few. There's one lots of, of good one things. One of the few. Take AI and, oh, and okay. sell it. Back to the devil where it came from. <laughs> wow. Um, hey, yeah. So it could be either one. Does that impact our translation or interpretation of the book? No, it, it really doesn't. Does that, uh, if this is not Jeremiah, do we need to take our commentaries that say it, it is Jeremiah and throw them away? No. We don't. We uh, we can understand that there are differences of opinions. There's certain things that we hold fast to and hold tight to when we when it comes to scripture, and certainly when the book itself attributes its own authorship to uh, to a particular person. For example, Luke, um, the the Gospel of Luke, when as, as Luke is writing there to Theophilus and, mm-hmm. and talking about those things, when it's set in a historical context, yeah, we we're going to hold fast to that. But um, when the author is not named, like in Lamentations, and also in our New Testament book with uh, he. Hebrews, which we're currently studying, uh, we're not going to pound the pulpit and say that this is a make, make or break issue for us. But it is important to note that what's going on here is, as one commentator uh, described it, the funeral for Jerusalem. 
um, in this book. And it lays out in, in five chapters. You've got chapter one dealing with the destruction of Jerusalem. Chapter two, uh, an examination really of God's anger. Chapter three, you've got uh, Jeremiah or whoever the author is, their grief over everything going on. Chapter four, uh, really unpacking God's wrath. Um, and then chapter five, the, the prayers of the remnant. And the book ends somewhat abruptly for us. Uh, and uh, and we'll get there in tomorrow's episode of, of the Daily Bible Podcast. But as it opens up, we're talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. One other note, this is part of, in the Hebrew scripture, what's called the megaloth. Um, these are our five scrolls, five books that are read in synagogues on special occasions. So this is one of the books in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Old Testament, that uh, still today they will read on uh, special occasions to remember the destruction of Jerusalem. And that's that's unique. That's interesting. It's it's why would we want to remember that? Why would the Israelite people want to remember that? And, and my assumption is in part because they wanted to remember what led them into that place of, of suffering and admonish and exhort the people to uh, avoid repeating that history. Uh, but as we get into chapter one, it's uh, it's th- this this morning this this funeral as I, I mentioned earlier for the destruction of Jerusalem. How lonely sits the city uh, that once was full of people. That is the city of Zion, the city of Jerusalem, um, and just uh, exposing the fact that she's been abandoned by all of the the uh, as the author puts it in verse two, her lovers. Uh, no one is there left to to comfort her. The rose design, which once were marked by celebration. Think of the Psalms of ascent going up to the city to, to worship the Lord as they did under the reign of David and Solomon. Those roads are now empty and they are, are marked by mourning. Her gates are desolate. There's no one fellowshipping there, gathering there. I mean, this is just complete destruction that has taken place here. Yeah, it's so sad. Uh, and to, I don't know if you said you said this over several podcasts, though, Pastor PJ. Uh, read Deuteronomy twenty-eight. Yeah, um, you get the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience, which is far longer. There's a lot more ink spilled on the curses for disobedience, but this is exactly what God said would happen. So we're not surprised by this. Nope. Um, this is a sad result in response to all that God said would would take place. One thing I noticed in verse nine um, is one of the effects of sin. She took no thought of her future. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible, and she has no comforter. Oh, Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Uh, one of the sin's tendencies is to blind us of the consequences, or at least to postpone the consequences in our minds of here. When I sin in this way, the inevitable result is going to be this, this, and that. But for the moment, I'm just going to enjoy the sin. Uh, Jerusalem uh, did this in a prolonged way, and God eventually had to re- respond in a serious way to get her attention, which I think he did. Um, not not entirely. Again, we've talked about some of the idolatry that's taking place even now as he's lamenting what's happening there. Uh, but nevertheless, God responded. And I think one of the temptations that we might have is something similar, given that we're in the New Testament. We think, oh, God's gracious. He, he's going he, to demonstrate grace to us because we're in Christ and we've got the Spirit, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but again, as we've said before, we need to be careful not to presume upon God, not to trifle with him, because the same God that judged Jerusalem disciplines his sons and his daughters, a la Hebrews 12. Right, right. This is, uh, as we read it, uh, prophecy, but it's also poetry. And uh, so the, there are some poetic devices employed here, starting, for example, in verse 12, where uh, the prophet personifies Jerusalem now speaking about what has happened to her. 
as the the city steps forward and uh, in uh, begins to address her current state. And what's interesting is is he portrays the prophet as the city as uh, aware of why this has happened. My transgressions, verse 14, were bound into a yoke by his hand. They were fastened together. And so here Jerusalem is acknowledging the reason all this has befallen me is because of my sinfulness. Uh, the Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst in verse 15. He sum- summoned the assembly against me. Uh, he Jerusalem understands and knows why this has come about and who brought it about, that God is the one that brought it about. Verse 17, Zion stretches out her hands. There's none to comfort her. Verse 18, the Lord is in the right for I have rebelled against his word. And so here it's it's interesting to, to note that the, the, the prophet, while lamenting the destruction, is even thinking somewhat artistically as he's personifying the, the city here in part of his prophecy uh, in her own lament over her her own condition and, and state. It's a helpful point of insight, Pastor Peter. Even though it, I think it's it's obvious, uh, it's helpful to understand this is poetry. That's partly why it's it's blocked like this. There's there's uh, there's lines that are spaced out. It's more there's more space on the page. Kind of like when you're reading the Psalms, they're also poetry. Uh, but that also gives you the sense of what to expect as you read. You're not reading a, a wooden. Um, you're not reading a letter, an epistle. You're not reading histo- history necessarily, although that it is. Uh, you're reading an artistic rendering of the the prophet's experience um, under the 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 judging hand of God. So that's helpful. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, yeah. Chapter two. Then uh, take note of and and uh, I highlighted just the different references to the anger of the Lord, specifically there, even in the first six verses. You see in verse one the word anger. Uh, twice uh, beginning and the the last line there then jump down to verse three he has cut them down in fierce anger Uh, also in verse three burning like a flaming fire verse four his fury like fire verse six his fierce indignation and so uh, you want to know what the chapter is about repeated words repeated concepts repeated themes in scripture give us a good understanding and an idea of what the emphasis is here and in, in chapter two he's talking about the anger of the lord and what the anger of the lord has done and accomplished in judging jerusalem the lord's not afraid to use a silent treatment either now you'll notice in verse nine that the king and her princes are among the nations the law is no more though the law is not heard the law is not promoted and uh, her prophets find no vision from the lord it's almost as though to say look if, if god's going to speak and you're not going to listen then i'm going to stop speaking and woe to the people that have a hard time or an, an unwillingness to listen to God's word, listen to God's voice. This is one of the reasons why we read through the whole Bible. So good, so healthy for a church to do this, because if we don't understand this, we're not listening, then God doesn't owe us anything more. God doesn't owe us more scripture. He's not going to say, oh, you didn't like Lamentations. Let me just, let me inspire a new book. Here's another one. Right. Pastor PG is going to write this one. You're going to love it. No, we ought to be uh, we ought to be faithful to hear what God says, even if it's scripture that's harder, scripture that may not make sense to you in the moment. Um, it's good for a church to listen to God's word, all of it. Yeah, note verse eleven. Uh, whether this is Jeremiah or somebody else, uh, the response of the prophet here he kind of gives us a glimpse into uh, Jerusalem, like I said in chapter one. But here himself, he says, "My eyes are spent with weeping." Oh, dude, this is hard. Yeah, my stomach churns, my bile is poured out to the ground. I mean, what he's talking about there is he's he's so wrecked by this that he has been vomiting. If you've ever been in that situation where you've got nothing left and all that that is coming up is bile, not to get overly graphic here, but just to get the picture of what's going on with the prophet. Uh, and the reason is because the destruction of the daughter, my people, and and when and he touches on this later, um, I believe in one of the next chapters, I don't think it's in this one, but he, he talks about the women 
compassionate, kind women who, because of the siege laid against Jerusalem, ended up boiling their children and eating their children to, to stay alive. Uh, this, this is what's leading to this response from Jeremiah, seeing the, the destruction and the, the tragedy. This is not just because there's, there's walls that are being broken down. Yes, that was, was grievous, but this is because of the suffering of the people that he's watching unfold before his eyes. Sin loves to take advantage of the weakest and the most vulnerable. And that's always going to be, forever and always, it's going to be women and children. Mm. And in this case, you see exactly, men take notice, you see exactly who suffers under the weight most for the sins of the people. Men fail to lead. The leaders fail to do what God tells them to do. The men aren't listening to the word of God. Women and children suffer the most. And sadly, the most vulnerable the most vulnerable among us are those who are victimized the hardest yeah. and the worst. Yeah. And as uncomfortable as it, is, as it is to read chapter two and chapter four is the one you're talking about, Pastor PJ, yeah. man, you ought to look this bear in the face and realize what your sin contributes to. Uh, I, I don't want to suggest to you that if you disobey God that this is going to happen to you, but just know it's always going to be this way. Sin always victimizes the most vulnerable, the hardest. So when you sin, don't think that there's not victims. There are. Yeah. It may not be you most. It may be the people that you serve. Yeah, and, and to your point on that, to, to be confronted by that reality and this reality, verse, look at verse 14. The failure of the false prophets was that they didn't do that. Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not noticed, exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes. So in other words, Jeremiah is saying, or the, the prophet is saying, if, if, if you wanted things to be different, and then, then you should have listened to biblical prophecy, which confronted sin and called you to repentance. Then your fortunes would have been restored to you. Instead, as it is now, the reason they're not is because you went after these lying prophets, these lying teachers who tickled your ears and made you think everything's fine. I don't have to worry about anything. Verse 17, note here again, just the, the emphasis on God's sovereignty. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word. And so even now watching and witnessing, which is what this is, the destruction of Jerusalem, the prophet is saying the one who's doing this is not ultimately Nebuchadnezzar. It's not his armies. It is God. God is accomplishing his purpose. And the reason is, as we've talked about, because of the sin of the people. Let's talk about uh, Melchizedek. All right. Take your Bibles over to the New Testament to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Okay, I'm there. Awesome. Well, Melchizedek, if you remember, back in uh, chapter 5, I believe it was at the end there, he first made reference to. He made reference to him in verse 6 of chapter 5. He said, you're a priest forever after the days of Melchizedek. And then he talked more about Melchizedek. And then he said this. He said, look, I wanted to talk to you more about Melchizedek, but I couldn't because you'd gotten dull of hearing. And then chapter 6, like we looked at last time, was the warning passage about what happens if, if we're not growing, if we're not maturing, if we're not taking things seriously. And so in chapter seven, he now returns to this subject of Melchizedek because in order to really understand why Jesus is better, because remember, that's his, his focus here, uh, he has to address Melchizedek. And in chapter seven, that's what he's doing. He's setting up the idea that the priesthood that Jesus possesses is better than the priesthood that was a product of the Mosaic covenant, the, the Levitical priesthood. And the reason is, is because Jesus did not descend from the Levitical line. Remember, Jesus was of the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. The priest came from the tribe of Levi, according to the Mosaic Covenant. Jesus is a priest, though. In fact, he's our great high priest. And the reason is, is because he descends from a different priestly order, and that is the priestly order of this one 
Melchizedek. Now, I think there's a, a couple of things to note here on Melchizedek. You'll uh, read there where it says in verse 3, he is without father or mother or genealogy. This has led some to suggest that this is some supernatural being, that Melchizedek is a... Is pre-incarnate Christ. A pre-incarnate Christ. Um, that, you've already heard Pastor Rod and I say in the last episode, we, or two episodes ago, we set that aside as, as we don't follow that. We don't believe that that's to be true. Not dragon. Instead, what he's suggesting here, in what the author is suggesting here, is Scripture doesn't tell us those things. It doesn't reveal who his father is, or who his mother is, or what his gene- genealogy is. And so he's saying there, this this is not information that we're privy to. What we do know is that he was a king of Salem, the king of peace, and the king of righteousness. And being a king, he was also a priest, and that's the one that Jesus is following in his line as the better priest than the than the uh, the Aaronic priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. Yeah, he, and that way he resembles the Son of God. He says at the end of verse three, um, this is how he resembles it because he precedes the Levitical priesthood, right? Which is an exciting prospect because where did this guy come from? How did he know Yahweh in a in a in a saving way? Because clearly he did, and he was a a priest. Where does he come from? Like, there's so many question marks around this guy. It's so unusual. Still, yeah. But the 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 point here that the 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 preacher is saying in Hebrews. Jesus gets his lineage, his credentials for priesthood through this guy. So remember, Jesus fulfills three offices in the New Testament. He is prophet, priest, and king. He is the king from the tribe of David. He is the priest of the lineage of Melchizedek, and he's the prophet. He's the word of God, John chapter 1. Uh, so he fulfills these three offices as the anointed one. All three offices were were anointed um, in the Old Old Testament. And so Jesus is the supreme one. He's superior. This is why he's better. And whether or not we know anything more about Melchizedek, we don't need to. What we need to know is that this is his credentials. This is how Jesus gets his lineage of priesthood authority. It is through Melchizedek. Mormons typically will use the Aaronic priesthood and the Melchizedekian priesthood, and they'll mangle it as as they perhaps unwittingly do some of them. Uh, but you don't need to concern yourself with that. Just know Jesus is outside the Levitical priesthood. He's not from the tribe of Levi. He's not from the he's not from the lineage of Aaron. He's from the tribe of Judah, and therefore he would have been disqualified if it was from the Levitical line. But he's from the Melchizedekian line. Yep. Yeah. In fact, verse nine says one might even say that Levi, who himself who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. And uh, the idea there is Abraham was the the progenitor, so to speak, great grandfather. Levi. Yeah. And so uh, Levi was represented by Abraham the same way, in in a sense, we were represented by Adam when Adam sinned. Uh, as Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, the the lesser paying tithes to the greater. Here, the author is saying Levi was was doing that as well. Because and and why does all this matter? Because from here in the rest of chapter seven, he goes on to say there was a new priesthood needed because the law had 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 been superseded by Christ, that there was something better. And so the, the Mosaic law was was set aside. The Mosaic covenant was set aside. And now there was a new covenant. Well, a covenant demands a priesthood and, and it couldn't be the Levitical priesthood. There needed to be a new one. And so remember the, the reason why he's addressing all of these things about the priesthood and the law and everything else is because he's writing to a group of people tempted to go back, tempted to, to say, you know what? This Christian experiment has been fine and everything, but we want to return for whatever reasons, maybe to escape some persecution, maybe because it was more tangible, they felt more skin in the game. They wanted to go back to Judaism. And the the author here was saying, don't do it. We have something better in Jesus, including the fact that he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Which is one of the reasons, just so you're aware here, that people will argue that this book came before 70 AD um, or this 
this homily. This came before 70 AD because if certainly the preacher would have said, and by the way, the temple has been destroyed. Right. You can't go offer sacrifices anyway. So right. huzzah. Huh. <laughs> but, uh, and, and that might be the case. That's a, that's a really compelling reason to think there's yep. an early date for the book of Hebrews or the, the letter they're preaching, the sermon of the Hebrews. Um, but yeah, that's why. Yep. Jesus is better. Don't go to the temple. Yeah. His priesthood is better. He's the guarantor, as it says in verse 22, of a better covenant uh, because he holds it permanently. And uh, and that's something that that is is significant here as, as Jesus is better because the, the the Levitical priests, they would hold their office for a certain amount of time and then they would either retire or they would die and then they would need to be replaced. Jesus is a perpetual priest for us. And verse 24, this is one of the coolest uh, two verses, I think, in the entire book here. He says, because he holds his priesthood permanently, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Mm -hmm. him since he always lives to make intercession for them. How cool is that? The the ancient Israelites had the high priest go in once a year to make intercession for them in the the Holy of Holies. We have Jesus, as we read about in chapter six, as the, the one that has gone behind the veil for us and he's there and he's always going to be living to make intercession for us. He holds his office permanently. He's our high priest permanently. Such a cool thought. What does it mean that he's making intercession? So if it's a, if he always lives to do this thing, what is the nature of that intercession? Yeah, it's it's uh, something that we've got to be careful with because the Catholic Church would, would, uh, would say in their mass that they are continuing or perpetuating the sacrifice of Christ. Every time mass is observed, the sacrifice of Jesus is ongoing for the, mm-hmm. the sins of the people. The, the book of Hebrews actually explicitly teaches against that as it, it says that he's finished, that it's done, that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so here it's not suggesting that, but what it is suggesting is that he is continually pleading his sacrifice before the Father, not in a sense of reminding God of what happened, because clearly the Father is aware and, and remembers the fact that he punished his son. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. And, oh, yeah, he did that. But he is is continually presenting his sacrifice in the sense of it covers over our sin. And so there's never going to be a time where we don't have someone making intercession for us. He's interceding so that we can draw near to find help and, and mercy and grace to help in time of need, as we read about earlier in chapter four. So I don't want to oversimplify it, but if I'm sinning uh, in a certain way, uh, Jesus can look to me and look at the father, uh, so to speak, and say, God, forgive Rod for doing that thing again. I plead, um, it's my blood that I, I'm covering him with my blood. Forgive him, cleanse him, that kind of thing. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. Super cool. Yeah. Again, another point to eternal security. Love right? it. So, hey, you guys, thanks for joining in for another episode, and we'll catch you guys, Lord willing, again tomorrow, unless AI takes over the world in the meantime. It will not, because Jesus sovereignly rules over AI. <laughs> That's true. See you tomorrow, though. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Mm